Hello there, and welcome to episode number 136 of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. All right, so happy 2024, Blue Jays fans. We, uh, we've entered the new year, and the Blue Jays are still appearing to be playing the waiting game in free agency, particularly in the position player market, because as it stands right now, this team still has yet to make any more additions outside of the reunion with Kevin Kiermaier and the signing of Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. But, as disappointing as that is for Blue Jays fans and for the entire Blue Jays community, it's hard to argue with what Ross has done so far, at least with Ross's approach to free agency thus far, given the fact that, one, it was an already thin free agent market for position players, and it has since gotten stripped even further after Shohei Otani left the market, and others have signed as well since. And it also doesn't help the fact that Scott Boris now largely controls the free agent market too, especially on the hitting side where you have the two biggest names available in Cody Bellinger and Matt Chapman are Scott Boris' clients. And then on top of that, he also controls the fate of Reese Hoskins, who's probably the best first baseman available right now in free agency, even though he's coming off a lost season due to injury. And J.D. Martinez, who is arguably one of the better DH types available in free agency too. So you have one super agent controlling a thinned out position player market in free agency. So yeah, you know, it's expectable that there would be a waiting period because historically, Scott Boris is a guy who tends to wait as long as possible for his clients to get the deal that they want and deserve. And like, I have no, I have no ill will towards that approach. Players should be paid what they're worth. That's not an up for debate here because owners will tell you a different thing. However, it does make it difficult for front offices to operate because you're basically playing a game of chicken where you're waiting for the other side to blink. But the other side has a long-standing history of not blinking, even if it drags into spring training and, and rolls up close to opening day. However, that being said, we do have some actual Blue Jays transactions to talk about here because Thursday was the deadline for arbitration figures to be exchanged. And the Blue Jays, for those of you who aren't following this or weren't following the situation closely or don't really care a whole lot about, you know, the, the nitty gritty here part of arbitration, 
Um, the Blue Jays had 12 cases to settle, uh, most notably Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s, um, who up to this point, as I'm recording this at almost 4 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, January 11th, Vladdy has still not come to an agreement with the Blue Jays thus far. If that happens while I'm recording, I will share the news to all of you, as will be the case if any other arbitration settlements come down the pipeline between now and the end of this episode. But as of right now, six Blue Jays have avoided arbitration. Danny Jansen kicked things off on Thursday morning by agreeing to a one-year $5.2 million contract with the Blue Jays. And if we're using Major League Baseball trade rumors projection model, that $5.2 million figure was precisely the amount that they projected him to get. So, you know, they were bang on there with that projection, $5.2 million. Um, certainly a, a reasonable amount for a player of Danny Jansen's stature. And, you know, I, I think to, to branch off here a little on Jano, because it is, it is worth bringing up that he'll be a free agent after next season. So this could be the final deal he signs with the Blue Jays, potentially. I hope that's not the case because obviously Jansen's injury history and the extent of it has been well well documented thus far, right? He's somebody that historically has struggled to stay healthy and on the field, particularly over the last three seasons where he hasn't played more than 86 games in a single year. And that was 2023 when he hit that mark. Played 86 games in 23, 72 in 2022, and 70 in 2021. So, you know, this is somebody who, of course, you know, has run into his fair share of injuries. A lot of it has unfortunately been bad luck, where Jansen, for whatever reason, whatever he did to piss off the baseball gods continues to be hit by pitches whether he's he, whether he's hitting or catching behind the plate he is just apparently a magnet for baseballs and not in a good way so unfortunately he's been riddled with injuries throughout his big league career um and that's been a huge detriment to his value to the blue jays but in these in these shortened stretches that he has had with the team he's been really good both defensively and from a slugging perspective which is an area where the Blue Jays really need and so for somebody who's entering his age 29 season in 2024 I don't love the idea of this possibly being his final season with the Blue Jays Like, personally, it would have made a lot of sense to extend Jansen to a multi-year deal last winter after the Blue Jays weakened their catching depth by trading Gabriel Moreno. Like, that would have been a, a prime opportunity to work out a deal. And 
There was an interview that Jansen did a few months ago with Scott Mitchell, I believe, where he, he did say that him and the team talked about a contract extension before last season, but ultimately decided it would be best if they let things play out. And I have a feeling that that conclusion was probably made just because both sides were on different pages, largely because of Jansen's injury history. And then on, on the player side where Jansen was coming from, he's looking at his statistics over 22 and 2021. He's looking that he was, you know, a, a, a two and a half win catcher in 2022, a one and a half win catcher in 2021. Um, at the time, he still had two seasons of club control remaining. And, you know, again, he's looking from this scenario where the Blue Jays just traded away their top prospect who just happened to be a catcher and is like, okay, you want to extend me, you know, let's, let's find a number that works for both of us. Ultimately, they weren't able to do that. But, you know, I think it would be beneficial for both parties to come to some sort of, you know, whether it's a two or three year extension beyond this season. Because um, if we dig into the numbers here, right, like over the last three seasons, let's say, let, let's expand this to a three season um, sample size here. And we look at Jansen's results and because of injuries, he's only been able to play a combined 228 games where he's registered seven, 754 plate appearances. In that time, he's hit 43 home runs, drove in 125 RBIs. He slashed 237, 317 with a very impressive 487 slug, a 121 WRC plus. Follow that up with a 8.6% walk rate, a 19.9% strikeout rate. Uh, he also has a 250 isolated power and a 343 Woba. And all of that has come together to him being worth six wins above replacement level per fan graphs. And if we want to see where that ranks in all of baseball, Jansen's war, his, his six uh, war, sits 10th among major league catchers since 2021 with at least 750 plate appearances. The next player above him is Alejandro Kirk at 6.2 war. So like, you know, you look at it, and even though Jansen hasn't been able to provide a ton of availability over the last three seasons, Statistically, he's been among the 10 best catchers in all of baseball since 2021. Seeing that and knowing Jansen's injury history, I would be very hesitant about letting a player of that caliber walk out the door for nothing. Now, I'm not in charge of the Blue Jays, nor am I the one who's spending their resources. But I just think it makes sense for everyone involved to hammer some sort of deal out. Now, that could still happen, right? The Blue Jays have, have had, had their hands full with free agency, Shohei Otani, the trade market, so many different things. 
that are much, much higher on the list of priorities than, extend, than extending Jan, Danny Jansen. I get that. That's totally fair. But now that they've come to terms on what his salary is going to be for 2024, maybe this extends the olive branch to kickstart or reignite the contract negotiations between both sides. And it's worth noting as well that Alejandro Kirk has three more seasons of club control. So even if Jansen were to become a free agent and leave, the Blue Jays would still be in a respectable respectable position. However, if you look at the Blue Jays catching depth beyond the big league level, it's not all that inspiring. Like not even not even a little. It's like no disrespect to Zach Britton, who, you know, despite a a mixed results um, 2023 season, he is somebody that if he sticks behind the plate could turn into, you know, a respectable reserve catcher at the big league level, let's say, possibly. Um, But again, he's still probably at least a few seasons away from being worth a promotion to the big leagues. But all you have to do is look at the fact that the Blue Jays brought in Peyton Henry on a minor league deal this offseason with an invite to spring training. And that tells you basically all you need to know about the Blue Jays catching depth. Like they lost Tyler Heineman to the New York Mets off waivers earlier this winter. Right? They've already lost a catcher when their depth wasn't great below the, the big leagues to begin with. So, you know, again, that, that leads me to believe more of that. And this is just, this isn't inside information. This is pure speculation. I think between now and the end of next season we'll see Jansen with a new deal with the Blue Jays. That's that's where my head is at. I, I don't know if that will come to, to fruition. To me, it just makes too much sense for it not to happen. You know, I, I think it makes sense for both sides. Even if, it, if a bridge deal is something that Jansen would be interested in, and I don't see why he wouldn't be, that, again, you know, maybe a... A two or three year deal at six or seven million dollars per season, something like that. And maybe it includes an opt out in there too, so that if Jansen is able to stay healthy and, and really breaks out over a full season, that he can have the ability to enter the free agent market and, and try and maximize his value in that way. But for now, I guess we'll just have to, we'll have to settle, you know, to, to use the pun there, um, that Jansen is under contract for next season, and we'll just have to see where things go. Uh, but along with him, the Blue Jays also came to terms with settlements with Tim Meza, who 
signed a one-year deal worth 3.59 million, which was 29,000 above uh, Major League Baseball or MLB trade rumors. Uh, projected 3.3 for Mesa. Uh, Yenesis Cabrera also avoided arbitration by signing a one-year uh, 1.5125 million dollar contract. That was a a bit of a bump from the $1.4 million projection that uh, MLB trade rumors had him at. Eric Swanson also avoided arbitration on a one-year $2.75 million contract. That was $50,000 above MLB trade rumors' projection. Um, and then we also finally had Santiago Espinal uh, avoid arbitration on a one-year $2.725 million contract. That was 225000 above his projected $2.5 million figure. So as of right now, and I'm just refreshing Twitter here to make sure I didn't miss anything, and that no, no other settle- settlements have come down the, the pipeline as I was reading those off, and it doesn't appear that was the case. So right now, the Blue Jays have six of their 12 arbitration cases resolved. But that leaves, again, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. unresolved. He's owed a projected $20.4 million. You also have Alejandro Kirk, who's owed a projected $2.6 million. Dalton Varsho at a projected $5.5 million. Trevor Richards at a projected $2.4 million. And Nate Pearson at a projected $800,000. But there is still time for the Blue Jays to reach settlements with all six players because the deadline to exchange figures is 8 p.m. on Thursday. So we got roughly, you know, just under four hours until that deadline hits, at which point both both sides have to exchange figures, you figure out the differences, and then arbitration hearings are usually set sometime in February. But again, even if the Blue Jays don't avoid arbitration with all six of those players, they will still have time to negotiate contracts between now and literally the time that they walk into that arbitration hearing. So just like we saw last winter with Bo Bichette, just because they don't reach an agreement by the deadline doesn't mean they, they can't. So, and with Vladdy in particular, given the fact that he has two years of club control remaining, it might just make sense for the Blue Jays to come to terms on a two-year deal with him just so they can avoid having to do this process again next winter where he'll be in his final arbitration year. Um, And with with Vladdy too, it's kind of already predetermined as to what he's going to be owed. Like he's owed a projected 20.4 million this year he'll probably be looking at like you know the 25 to 27 million dollar range in 2025 so maybe the Blue Jays come to terms with him on a two-year I don't know 40 or well not 40 40 is far far too low Um, but like you know a two-year 50 50 million dollar deal something like that um probably in that 45 to 50 million dollar range that would make sense 
for both parties here. Um, and that, of course, that would walk him to free agency, just like what the team did with Bo Bichette. But I think, again, like that would be like an olive branch to saying, look, like we're able to find common ground on a deal here. Like, let's revisit this in the future. And with, with Vladdy, it's a little bit trickier to negotiate a long-term deal beyond his arbitration years than say it would be with Bichette just because like Bichette consistency wise he's shown you what his ceiling is over the last like season and two months really right like all of 2023 and then like the final two months of the 2022 season like that's that's Bo Bichette's ceiling is is, is kind of what you're hoping to get out of him there so and, and, it, and it helps too that he's a shortstop as well, right? Like it, there's a lot of pre- prior deals that you can compare if you're the Blue Jays, where like with Vlad, it's a little different because sure, he had his breakout 2021 season, but he's also been inconsistent over the last two seasons and looked like a shell of himself at times in 2023. So from the Blue Jays perspective, you're hesitant to commit a, a lucrative deal to Vladdy because you know you, you're, you're unsure as to what you're going to get out of him year to year but then from Vlad's perspective he's like look look what I did in 2021 I know I struggled in the two seasons after that but I know my worth I know my value I know what I'm capable of so this is what I want so from that point of view I, I think it'd be difficult to find middle ground between both sides and you know like Ben Nicholson Smith kind of outlined this in one of his latest pieces at Sportsnet where you know kind of what I just said where it'll probably or it would probably be more realistic for the Blue Jays to find common ground on a long-term deal with Bichette than it would with Vladdy for all of those reasons I just outlined so you know, again, for now, we'll, we'll have to wait and see as to what comes of this. I don't have any concerns about the Blue Jays' ability to agree to a, at least a one-year deal with Vlad. Ideally, that's a two-year deal. So again, we're not in this, or not we, but the Blue Jays are not in this same situation again next winter when Vladdy's number is going to be significantly higher than where it is right now. Um, and if he has, you know, a, a, a crazy bounce back here, like, you know, 2021 caliber, there's a good chance that number is up into $30 million range rather than like, say the $25 or $25, $25 million figure. So this would give Laddie some security and, and some peace of mind as to know what he's going to earn over the next two seasons. And obviously, it would provide the Blue Jays with um, some financial um, fortitude, just knowing what their what the dollar figures are going to be exactly for not just Bo, but for Vlad as well for 2024 and 2025. So, you know... Um, 
Ross Atkins has historically, he's historically been like a bit of a, uh, a quiet ninja, so to speak, where, you know, his moves largely come out of nowhere, so, so to speak, right? Like, the Blue Jays front office, and, and, and honestly, this kind of applies to all of Toronto sports, really, where the front offices don't tend to leak a lot of information to the media. So when moves happen, they're not really rumored about before they do. Um, and it was a little different with the I- IKF signing, just because it kind of made sense with the versatility um, but even still, like, the deal that he signed for came as a surprise, right? Where the Blue Jays gave him a second year and are paying him seven and a half million dollars annually on average over that term. That certainly was not expected. So, um, again, Ross kind of walks in silence and, and, uh, comes a bit out of out of left field with some of the moves that he makes um but that being said and and the Vladdy conversation aside we can sort of predict or at least have some sort of ideas to where the Blue Jays are going to be looking to make their next move um when it comes to roster construction and obviously obviously that's going to come in the form of the position player market, or at least it should. But like I said off the top, they're in this little waiting period here with much of the the free agent class. Because, you know, here again, I'll reiterate what I kind of spoke about on, on the previous episode where in terms of Cody Bellinger, because he's still available, right? Personally, I believe the Blue Jays saw the writing on the wall there, knew that Bellinger's camp, particularly Scott Boris, have dug their heels in and are saying, look, this is our price, which is probably a deal worth upwards of $200 million, if not more. They've dug their heels in and they're saying, we are not budging from this asking price. And the Blue Jays probably like, okay. So they called up Kiermaier and brought him back. And then they went out and signed IKF. And now lo and behold, they have less of a need for Cody Bellinger. They're still keeping that door open. If that price comes crashing down, you know, somewhere in the, like, I don't know, $130, $150 million range. At that point, the Blue Jays would probably be like, okay, yeah, we're back in it. We're still interested in in him. Let's talk. Um, you know, and, and a, lot of the, a lot of people, understandably, let me preface, understandably, you know, got emotional um, and heated when... Ross Atkins spoke a few weeks ago and and said, look, like, obviously we're looking to add to our position player group, but we're probably looking at not three players, 
um, maybe two, but more likely one. I'm paraphrasing a little, but he narrowed it down to like one, right? And obviously when you look at the, this Blue Jays lineup, you're like, okay, like sure, they'll, they'll be in a better spot if you add, say, an everyday DH, like, you know, whether it be a Jock Peterson or Jorge Soler or Reese Hoskins or JD Martinez or even a Justin Turner, like they will be a better team in that case but they'll still be lacking a right-handed outfielder, a bat-first right-handed outfielder, and maybe also a bat-first infielder as well. But I also believe Ross was doing a lot of GM posturing in that Zoom call and negotiating through the media because that's a tactic that one he has used before and two it's effective right you think about it and you know like could Ross have phrased his response differently so that he's not revealing too much to agents and also appeasing the fan base more than he did absolutely he could have done both of those things you know I I, I think had he not put a number on the um, hitters that he's looking to add, then it would have been better. Like just saying, look, like obviously we're we're interested in in improving our position player group, um, but I don't want to put a fixed number on it. Just that you know we we are in a position where we can add to our team something like that, right? The typical jargon um, that he usually gives out to the media when uh, these types of questions are asked something like that would have would have been a more effective way at you know guarantee well not guaranteeing but assuring that the fan base doesn't lose its freaking minds right because that's essentially what happened where people took that quote and freaked out and You know, it's difficult in the moment when you hear that response not to react and not to first think methodically and be like, okay, why would he say this, right? And break it down piece by piece. I, you know, full disclosure, it was difficult for me to do that too, right? But after I gave it some time, I was like, okay, this, something doesn't add up here, you know? Um, Ross is a smart guy. Obviously, he knows that this team needs more than one addition. But he's not going to come out outright and say that either. Because then that takes away some of his leverage in negotiations. So I do think we can read between the lines and assume that the Blue Jays are going to add at least an outfielder or a DH. Ideally, it's both. But I, I'm, I, I know we can stamp our approvals or or that's not even the right way to describe it, we can assume that one of those two things are going to happen here. But again, it's it's complicated because of where the free agent market is or how the free agent market is situated. Because from Scott Boris's perspective, it's probably more beneficial for his clients that Bellinger and Chapman signed before J.D. Martinez and Reese Hoskins. Because that 
if if Bellinger and Chapman sign first, that not only sets the market a little bit for for Martinez and Hoskins, but it also would ensure that Bellinger and Chapman have potentially more suitors than they would if Martinez and Hoskins signed before them. Even though they, they, they play different positions, from a roster flexibility perspective, you gotta think that even if, if, if signing Hoskins and Martinez didn't take away suitors, it would reduce the level of interest those same teams would have in Bellinger and Chapman. Sort of like where the Blue Jays are at after they signed IKF and Kevin Kiermaier. They're still leaving the door open for potential signings with Bellinger and or Chapman, but their roster is now constructed where it's not ideal if they add either of them, particularly Bellinger, where it's like, okay, your outfield is, is kind of set for the most part with Varsho in left, Kiermaier in center, Springer in right. Obviously, if you signed Bellinger, you could use Springer in the DH spot in most times and not sign an everyday, everyday DH and still be able to rotate players through, the, through that DH spot but at the same time, are you going to commit $200 million to a guy that, on that value, is better served to be playing center field rather than right? So it doesn't make it that the fit isn't perfect like it was before the Blue Jays re signed Kevin Kiermeyer. And. Similar sentiment can be applied to Matt Chapman here, where, you know, I think in most cases, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is going to be playing third base regularly for the Blue Jays, and, you know, especially against pitchers who throw hard and throw a lot of four-seamers and curveballs. So those are two pitches that IKF handles really well. So, you know, after you committed a two-year two-year deal to IKF, why are you then going to go ahead and throw a ton of money at Matt Chapman and kind of make IKF a little redundant? Like, not as much, because he could still earn a lot of reps in at second base and, and, you know, sub in in the outfield as well. But you outbid everyone else for IKF to give yourself a bit, a bit more insurance at third base. Why would you then go out and pay a ton of money to Matt Chapman as well. Now, again, if the price comes down for Chapman, that could change everything. But, you know, as we've discussed all offseason here, there are a lot of red flags of Matt Chapman. Not defensively, but offensively. And for a team that really needs to improve its offense, I am still very unsure as to whether or not the best course of action to take is bringing back Chapman. Especially when you consider the optics behind it all as well. Because the vibe 
among uh, surrounding this team and amongst the fan base is okay this is largely just a run it back scenario and like granted this is sort of what it looks like so far they're not done obviously they're not done adding pieces but if one of your bigger moves that come next is re-signing Matt Chapman the optics behind it are going to be that you're running this thing back and there's already people suggesting that now I should I should clarify and not say people that's too vague there are already fans suggesting that or seeing this as like okay if this two-year window doesn't work with Lottie and Bo we're just gonna blow it up and like okay the Blue Jays could do that It's, it's fair they could I think it's incredibly unlikely that that happens especially when you consider the number of marquee free agents that are available next winter that's something that you know rightly hasn't been discussed enough because like the focus is on this winter but I kind of see the writing on the wall being here that the Blue Jays are looking at short-term options so that they maintain flexibility to be able to go out and make big runs at guys like Juan Soto or Alex Bregman or others that be available next winter that to me makes a lot more sense than the Blue Jays entering a rebuild after the 2025 season especially again when you when you look at their their roster and the money they have committed now they're they don't have many long-term deals on the books but you got Jose Barrios Kevin Gosman George Springer Chris Bassett now that's a deal that you could probably move if you had to um especially because like Chris Bassett's only signed for three years. So after 2025, his contract will be up as well. But I just, I would have a very, very hard time seeing this front office just absolutely blow it up. And I don't think just because Bo and Vlad are not signed beyond the 2025 season that that doesn't mean that the Blue Jays can't look at extending one or, or both of them after that season there's no rule saying they can't obviously it would be a, a very tough challenge to have both entering free agency at this at the same time and and the Blue Jays having to try and extend both of them that would be a, a tall mountain to climb but it's not impossible so again like the rebuild discussion is is something that you know certainly in my opinion needs to be tabled for at least two seasons um but in terms of what may happen this winter you know I think the Blue Jays in a realistic scenario they add an everyday DH whether that's 
you know, I think it'll probably be one of the five group here that's been discussed. That includes Jorge Soler, Jock Peterson, JD Martinez, Reese Hoskins, and Justin and Justin Turner. I think of that five, the Blue Jays probably end up with one. Who's my preference of that group? I've been talking about this for, for almost a year now. I really like Jorge Soler. I really wish the Marlins would have been in a position to trade him at the deadline last year because that would have been a tremendous addition to the Blue Jays lineup. But Jock Peterson speaks a lot to me too. You know, he's somebody that even though his numbers weren't off the charts last year and that could be could have something to do with the wrist injury that he dealt with um, on and off throughout the 2023 season. Um, but there's a lot to like with his with his profile, his offensive profile, the fact that he's left-handed and the Blue Jays still have yet to replace that presence um, that Brandon Belt had in their lineup where not only did he provide them with a ton of value, but he also balanced their lineup out a fair bit too. So, you know, all of all the DH options that have been discussed, Peterson's the only one left-handed. Now, obviously, like, Varsha was somebody you would love to be able to insert in, you know, the top half of your lineup, especially against right-handed pitching. I think, you know, large in part, that was the original idea that the Blue Jays had when they first acquired him from Arizona last winter. Obviously, that didn't work out in 2023, but, you know, it's still something if if Marshall pod positively regress, regresses, that, you know, that's a conversation that the Blue Jays, without a doubt, will revisit. Um, but if they add somebody like Peterson to the group, you know, that, that gives them another option against righties that they can slot in there in the middle of the order and not only lengthen their lineup out, but give a little bit more protection for somebody like Vladdy. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where I fall on the spectrum there. And I do really, I strongly believe that the Blue Jays need to add a right-handed outfielder to this team. We all talked about it last winter after the Jays acquired Kiermaier and Varsho that their outfield group was missing one right-handed outfielder and they never got that guy they, they tried the whole Jordan Luplo experience but they didn't even really give him a, a an actual shot at sticking in that role so you know if they add somebody like a Tommy Pham or a Robbie Grossman or even an Adam Duvall, somebody of that caliber that's available in free agency, this team will be even better from a matchup standpoint where they can really stack up against both lefties and righties as well. So, you know, if this team doesn't add three, three players, and I still think that's a potential outcome, and, and especially given the fact that Santiago Espinal looks like he's destined to be traded, right? They, the IKF signing made him redundant. So, and and even before the IKF signing happened, the Blue Jays, from, from what I've heard, were already discussing trade scenarios involving Espinal. So, you know, c considering the fact that the Blue Jays would benefit 
from a bat first infielder addition um, somebody like a Jorge Polanco that would make sense if the, if the Blue Jays packaged Espinal with you know maybe another prospect infielder um, in, a, in a package to send to Minnesota for a guy like Polanco um, if they add a bat first infielder you know uh, an everyday DH of that from that five and a right-handed outfielder plus you hope that much of this lineup performs more to their standards in 2024 that you know this team will be in a really good spot um, from an offensive perspective now is everybody going to are the Blue Jays going to get more out of everyone who didn't um, play up to expectations last season maybe it's you know again it's not impossible but you sure certainly shouldn't be hanging your hat on having that expectation you certainly should not be being you should not operate less aggressively or more passively assuming that Vlad and Springer and Kirk and Varsho are all going to regress to the mean next season that would be in my opinion dangerous and not in a good way I think you need to complement those pieces more effectively and have them produce more to what their career norms are. And that's not even talking about the pitching side of things. Because as currently constructed, this team needs more pitching. Especially in the starting pitching department. Where, you know, you on paper you have your five starters laid out. Right? Kevin Gosman, Jose Barrios, Chris Bassett, Yusei Kikuchi, and Alec Manoa. But as we know, Alec Manoa is an uncertainty at this point and the depth at AAA isn't great you have Mitch White who's out of option you also have Bowden Francis Wes Parsons I guess Paxton Schultz um, but you do have Ricky Tiedemann and probably eventually Chad, uh, Chad Dallas as well but there needs to be at least one more addition in my opinion and somebody like Yariel Rodriguez would make a ton of sense, as I've outlined before, where he's somebody who could start, he could come out of the bullpen and pitch multiple innings, he could even be a high leverage reliever for you. There's, there's multiple different roles that he could play, um, but overall, I think it'd be beneficial for the Blue Jays to go out and add, you know, if it's not Rodriguez, they go out and add a starter, or they add somebody who could start or be a multi-inning reliever for them and you know it'd be great you know as a cherry on top if the Blue Jays could replace Jordan Hicks with another high leverage reliever whether or not that's realistic we'll see but the Blue Jays do have some options internally that they could replace that role with too obviously Nate Pearson is right there he's only got one option left so you know, if you're going to keep him and not trade him, you want to give him some room to grow and show that he can control the strike zone effectively at the major league level and be trusted in those high leverage situations, especially down the stretch. Um, they also have Connor Cook, Mason Fluharty, Hagen Danner, if he's healthy. There, there are a number of different options that the Blue Jays could turn to for some depth. But, you know, again, assuming... 
all of those pitchers from last season's roster are going to stay healthy and perform like they did in 2023 is also a little foolish too, especially with relievers and how volatile they are from season to season, right? Like they're like goalies in hockey. You, you don't know what you're going to get out of them. So, you know, we'll see where that goes, but obviously the Blue Jays, their, their focus is on the position player market right now. And, and once they start adding a few more bats to this roster, then they can probably turn their focus a little bit more towards the pitching side. Um, but, you know, then again, given where the prices are at for, for pitchers these days, especially starting ones, it's, it's certainly a good thing that the Blue Jays aren't desperate to add a, another starter to their team this winter. But again, like I said, they could benefit from some more depth there too. So, but that does it for this week's episode. I hope all of you will join me next time for another edition of Blue Jays World Update. But until that time, I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and now you're up to date. Thanks for listening.